Welcome to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in. Paul George. Deacon Adam Conk. Howdy, howdy. In studio. That music, it's definitely like... Like if I can imagine Jesus floating up in the air. Is that your ascension music? Ascending into heaven. This would be it. <laughs> you know, deep bass, trumpets blowing. <laughs> see You're you. right. I could totally see bye it. Bye-bye, Jesus. <laughs> Where are you going? <laughs> That's our ascension music That's right a, there. Yeah. You nailed it, man. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, this Sunday <laughs> is the ascension of the Lord. And I was just reading... You know, obviously <laughs> catching up on the readings and, and there it is. But that music, like I can imagine like what the disciples were thinking is Jesus full body yeah. floating in the air. I mean, yeah. Peacing out. Can you imagine being in their situation where you've literally think you've seen it all, right? I mean, you've watched the transfiguration, you've watched multiplication of loaves, you've watched the crucifixion or you, you heard about it at least. And then you see him resurrected. Right from the grave. And you're like, this, there, there can't, can't be more. Be more. <laughs> there can't be. It it's like an infomercial. Yeah. But wait, there's, there's more. more. For ten ninety nine. <laughs> it just takes off. <laughs> you can see more. <laughs> and watch this. Oh, boy. And Jesus starts floating up, you know, in the, into the sky. You know, the great news for all of us is that he doesn't leave us nor forsake us. That's right. He sends the Holy Spirit, which, you know, we've been in, in the midst of Easter and, you know, the, the the readings from Acts, like this whole Easter season, obviously, is Acts, and you see the Holy Spirit, the church moving. Jesus promised that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, I, you know, mm-hmm. like the Holy Spirit's with us. And so, you know, it, it's sort of this, like, you know, we weren't there with the disciples, so we, we get to... We have the results of the new covenant. You know, Jesus ascended. We we get the Holy Spirit at baptism and confirmation and, mm-hmm. and and through life the grace. But for them, I'm sure there was sort of this like, ooh, <laughs> an empty yeah. feeling. Yeah. And I bet after the three days after he ascended, they probably were like, okay, this three-day thing, is it happening again? Is he coming back in three days? Right. And then it passed. And then it was three years and then three centuries and... Even more. Yeah, I was thinking about that this weekend, you know, about that not being orphaned. Like Jesus said, I'm not going to orphan you, but I'll send you the Holy Spirit. It's interesting he would say that because he's not, he's not, he never claims to be our father, right? He points to a father. But he did tell Philip, um, if you know me, you know the father, mm-hmm. right? And so this this Holy Spirit that comes doesn't leave us orphaned because it keeps us in knowledge of Jesus Christ and knowledge of the father, you know? Without the Spirit, we really are orphans we're not connected to Christ or the Father and uh, so anyway yeah I've been thinking about that too how important um, the spirit is in keeping my relationship with God alive and well hmm. and not being orphaned yeah yeah it's like they didn't you know it's like once Pentecost happened they received the Holy Spirit they were like oh we get it now like Jesus lives in us mm-hmm. and he's here we're no longer orphan and it's not that they didn't care that he physically wasn't there, but their motivation was simply to live the life Christ had called them to. They were empowered to do that through the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. But a lot of their preaching in the early church, like if you if you read about it, you notice that they they preached about the second coming. Yeah. They 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 didn't know the day or the hour. They thought it could have been a lot sooner, and they preached like it was coming next week. You know, yeah. like Jesus is coming back soon, guys. Like <laughs> repent. And, you know, and be baptized, right? Mm-hmm. And 
they preached with a sense of urgency. You know, not so much like we we don't we don't sense that today as much like preaching with a sense of urgency. You know, because you know, I don't I don't know if people are always that urgent to change. Yeah, and we've kind of settled into a cultural pattern of just we got what we got. But, you know, a lot of our grandparents, great-grandparents, that's not how they thought. They realized that everything you fight for, your freedoms, your family, your your country, like all these things can be lost within a generation. Hmm. And it's up to us to hand on to the next generation something worth handing on. And for some reason, we just don't have that right now, whether it's in the church or out the church. I mean, we, the church can literally be reinvented in 20 years if we just do our job right, right? Like if we evangelize and spread the gospel, in 20 years, we have a totally different church. Because yeah. that's how life works, you know? That's true. Amen to that. We're going to talk about generations today, by the way. And you really? had no idea. I had no idea. Which I don't have any idea about right now <laughs> is, have you seen? What did you say? That is so interesting. Oh, for real, though? I'm pretty sure you haven't seen this because you would have told me about it. Uh, it's perfect for the Easter season, though. Um, it comes out of Peru. Oh. Yeah, this is an international segment right Okay. Here. <clears throat> out of Peru in late April of this year, where um, in Peru, the family of Rosa Isabel Chespedes Calaca okay. had gathered for her funeral. Okay, so mm-hmm. they're, they're having a wake and then a funeral. She had been involved in a serious uh, car accident. Okay. In Peru. In Peru. Um, the accident claimed the life of her brother-in-law and her nephews and her, right? So they're having a funeral for her. Um, at the wake with the closed coffin, because she was battered, I kid you not, sh- there's a knocking. No. No way. No. <laughs> Stop. They lowered the coffin and opened the lid to find a very weak but very much alive Rosa looking up at them. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding. <clears throat> and the uh, undertaker said... His name is Juan Cajo, said she opened her eyes and was sweating. I immediately went to my office and called the police. Um, Shocked relatives rushed to Rosa, still in her coffin, and they brought her to the hospital where she was nursed back to health. So obviously in Peru, they don't do like embalming techniques and or maybe even check very closely. But or, you know, maybe it was a miracle, but the article does not report that. But I mean, would you freak out if you were at a funeral? You do a lot more funerals than most <laughs> yeah, that's as true. a deacon. I've been at some, yeah. So if you're, if you're there and you hear a knock on the coffee, right? <sighs> like what? What do you do? I would freak out, mm. dude. This is crazy. How, but there, think about the rejoicing that happened with her family. Yeah. And here's the deal. Like, I don't know enough about the article. This is, this is wild. Like, was it a miracle? Like, was she pronounced dead, dead, all the way dead? Uh, or was she in like a coma they didn't know and then they buried her in the coffin i yeah. mean not in the ground yet but you know well being this is from a secular news source they hypothesize it could have been a coma you know mm-hmm. they could have been her pulse was so weak that they checked it at the hospital and just pronounced her dead but in fact she was alive and then so they don't know but um peru is a place of faith so i don't know if these people had faith and uh yeah so that is wild stuff I mean, it's amazing that would happen in 2022, but here we are. That's that's wild. Rosa, her name is Rosa. Like she Rosa from the grave. Hmm. Isn't it like the, the history of awake is like you you kind of like 
That's right. You know, like you waited long enough to see if like the person would come back to life or something like that. Exactly. You know, so you, and then. Good thing they did. Because sometimes people did, you know, like yeah. back in the day. Well, today, apparently. <laughs> Good thing they did. Yeah. Because if they would have put her in the ground and then she's knocking, I mean, you can't do anything. Well, think about the rejoicing that happened to this poor grieving family, you know, mm-hmm. and it. It's sort of like what happened with Lazarus when, you know, That's right. Mary went to Jesus like, hey, her brother's dead and her friend's dead. And Jesus, you know, wept, you know, he was sad because they were friends, but went and rose him from the grave. Like Lazarus was dead for four days. We know this. Yeah. And there was no coma. He was dead. He was dead. No coma. But everybody had grieved. They were still in this, you know, season of grieving his death and Jesus, you know, Run him back to life. Mm-hmm. Think about the rejoicing that happened because they're coming out of grieving what they thought was dead is now alive, right? Yeah. That same rejoicing that happened when Jesus died and three days later, you know, rose from the dead, you know? I mean, death is our ancient enemy. It's the number one consequence of sin that we don't like, right? It's the thing that is most unnatural to us, which is strange because in the animal kingdom, it's very natural. But it just shows that this is not our home. This is not God's will for us that we die. This was not part of the original plan because it breaks our hearts so much when our loved ones die. Um, Death is just something anti-human, but yet it happens because of original sin, because of our fallen nature. And so, yeah, if, if, if a man who promised to be able to bring people back from the dead actually did it with Lazarus and then actually did it with himself... The joy is beyond just having your loved one back, but it's the joy of maybe having your loved one back forever. Because that's the thing. If, you know, you raise Lazarus, Rosa, so Rosa didn't die. She came, or maybe she did and was brought back. I don't know. But she's probably going to die again unless Jesus comes back, right? Lazarus was raised from the dead. He died again. But Christ dies and never dies again. And that's the promise. That's the joy of the resurrection that's so unique is that not only is death overcome right now or in this moment or in this sickness or in this car crash but death is overcome forever it's amazing yeah well this is beautiful because you know the ascension of the lord which we celebrate this sunday you know jesus ascends into heaven to be with the father he sends like we're going to celebrate pentecost soon like he sends the holy spirit the paraclete to be with us he'll never like you said he'll never leave us abandoned or orphaned we we are his we're claimed by his we have god living in us right and there was a rejoicing in the apostles when they received the Holy Spirit, because I think in their in their mind and their heart, like the mourning turned into rejoicing. Mm-hmm. What they thought Jesus was gone again, right, was now living inside of them, and they rejoiced so much that they went out into the world, to the streets, to live the life that God had promised them to live. They preached the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine if we would rejoice for the for the folks who came back from spiritual death mm-hmm. like the prodigal son you know the father rejoiced you know through a feast because his son he thought was physically dead and even spiritually dead was gone and now had come back right mm-hmm. i mean this this is the type of life and rejoicing that we're that we're called to, right? Like, yeah, we're all going to die. Like, th- there's no doubt. Like, this is not a shocker to anyone listening. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's going to come to an end, and, and that really stinks. But between the the time that happens, like, 
think about the amount of rejoicing we have because people's lives are saved because they're turning around from spiritual death to new life. Like that's something to get excited about. You're really challenging me here because I just realized as you're saying that, I don't think I've ever thanked God for confession. Like, I don't think I've ever done it. They say, God, thank you for all the people who went to confession this week hmm. and were raised from the dead spiritually in a relationship with you. Like, thank you so much for that mercy and that grace. I've thanked them for my confession. Sure. You know, but in the sense of, like, would you just describe letting myself experience the joy that heaven feels over one repentant sinner and to actually thank God for that tremendous grace to raise people from the dead this week in my parish. People went to confession. Yeah. And I I, I have never thought to really thank God for that adequately. But know? but even for all of us, like, think about it. I mean, for those of you, you know, listening, maybe you've been a long-term listener, maybe you're just tuning in. Uh, but we have all, every one of us, have been spiritually dead at some point in our life. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're certainly born with original sin. Yeah. You know, we are in... In, in a sense, in the grave with Lazarus, we're dead. We, we're there's there's a death to us. Sin is death. You said that, like you you brought it up, like that, like that. It's the reality. I mean, how many times have we thanked God and rejoiced because He saved us from spiritual death? Like He brought us back to life through our baptism, through confirmation, but but through repentance, through confession, through through our spiritual awakening, mm-hmm. right? Like, like of the 10 lepers who Jesus healed, one returned to thank him. Why? That, that one returned and said, thank you. I was dead. I was dead. I had no life. Mm-hmm. And you brought me back to life. Like, like this is what the Christian heart does, is, is it rejoices in the fact that Jesus has raised us from spiritual death. Mm-hmm. And maybe the art of that relationship with God that stays rejoicing is something like long marriages. So you and your lovely bride are about to celebrate something pretty tremendous. Yeah. Right? Yeah, we are. I mean, at least in my standard. <laughs> I don't know about everybody but, else's. But 25 years of a happy marriage. 25 years of, of a happy marriage, yes. Congratulations. Thank you. But part of that, jo- part of that joy of being married is this, I guess, art of kind of staying in the joy of the first time you met or the first day you got married, let's say. It's that art of, you know, remaining in that joy, that same joy for 25 years. Now you grow up, you mature, you go through life, like all these things happen for sure. But there's a way that you have of reconnecting to the joy of just being married. And it's just like that with the Lord when it comes to our salvation, that God saved us from our sins. It's not like there's a part two or part three. This is the main event is that God saved us from our sins. Just like in marriage, the main event is that you have a wife and you have a husband. And that's amazing, right? Like that's a great thing. And you're going to go through life, sure. But the, ma- the main headline of that story is husband and wife. And the main headline of, of our relationship with God is that he saved us in his son, Jesus Christ, and he saved us from the grave. And happy Christians, if you've been a Christian for 25 years, let's say, or whatever, are you a happy Christian, <laughs> like mm. happily Christianed? Well, if you are, it's you've somehow figured out how to remain in the joy of salvation, which is so important, and to not need all kind of extra things, just like in marriage. Oh, I'm going to need all kind of vacations or all kind of uh, you know experiences with my spouse to still enjoy being around her. Well, no, that's, that's not a happy marriage. 
same thing with God. If all I need is God's salvation to be happy, I can be a happy Christian. That's true. And I can tell you, look, marriage isn't easy. We know that, right? Like it takes work and effort. We're human. We're frail. We're imperfect. There is no way on the planet Earth that I could be married for 25 years without Jesus saving me, hands down. Mm -hmm. And there's no way that I could make it through the hard times and the tough times and the healing and loving someone else without Jesus saving me and resurrecting me from my spiritual death over and over again, by the way, not just once, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's no way. Not only that, the longevity of 25 years and going, but, but to claim that I'm happy in my marriage, right? Like not because like of anything else other than God's grace that I'm there, Mm -hmm. like 100%, like, like, yeah, like my effort I've put all my effort into it, and that falls short. God's grace carries me through it all. And there's absolutely, I know this. I know this hands down. There's no way I could have made it this long and gotten to this point without Jesus saving me from my spiritual death. Because I, I would have totally ruined it, the whole thing. Yeah, you would. Hands down, like a train wreck <laughs> off the reservation. Where'd Paul go? <laughs> you know, totally. You know, and I think my wife would say the same thing. Like, there's just no way without God's grace that mm-hmm. we can we can get to where we're at a place of happiness because the world doesn't fix it. More money, more things, more vacations. You know, I'm called to love another human being in their imperfection, and the only way I can do that is through Jesus. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah, and the Lord sent us a spirit because the only way we can continue to be in love with the Lord is is because of Jesus too. Like we need his Holy Spirit. I mean, he rose from the dead. It's amazing. And so to stay in the joy of that moment, the joy of Easter, we need the Holy Spirit. There's no way we can just convince ourselves that this is a good thing or convince ourselves into a joy of Easter. We have to encounter it. We have to encounter the risen Lord. We have to encounter the Holy Spirit so that that fact that Jesus is resurrected from the dead can be the source of my joy in an honest way. Yeah. But I have to encounter it. I have to experience it. Yeah. So it's two things. I mean, in the segment, and we'll pick back up, is a marriage does not fail overnight. Mm. It takes a long time. And a marriage does not succeed overnight. It takes work. Both don't happen overnight, mm-hmm. and but both happen yeah. in people's lives. Yeah, we've seen that. We've seen it. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Healthcare that works better and costs less seems like an oxymoron, right? Take a minute and check out our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare. Members say that faith-based health sharing is a much better fit than insurance, all while costing less. Prices start at $384 a month for families. Call now to see how much you can save. 844-387-8533. That's 844-387-8533. Welcome back to the show. Great to be with you. Thanks for listening in on the podcast. 
uh, for all our listeners all over or on the radio here at KLFT here in South Louisiana. South Louisiana. Lafayette, if you've never been. We just had some good friends of ours from Phoenix, Arizona, vacationing through the South. They went to Florida. They're passing through Louisiana. So they called us, let us know they were passing through. Um, and we've been friends with them since we moved out in Phoenix in like 98. You know, we've kept in touch. You know, we don't see them much. Obviously, they live far away. So they passed, it was good to see them. They have t- two daughters and yada, yada. So I was like, what can I do for them? And uh, for those of you guys who don't live here, it's, you know, crawfish season is ending, but I wanted to do a crawfish boil for them. Come over to the house. We'll have fun. And I'll do a crawfish boil. So <laughs> they've never, they've eaten crawfish at like a restaurant here and there, but they've never been to a crawfish boil, mm-hmm. you know. So we did that and they loved it. But here was the funny thing. And and the, if you're in Louisiana, it's just like, yeah, sort of like the thing is, um, so I, I called a friend who who has crawfish and then I texted him and he's like, yeah, I got them, you know, and I, I'll deliver them to your house, you know. So I paid him, you know, for the crawfish. But he pulls up in like this long white sketch van, sort of like your 15 <laughs> passenger van, but like all the windows are whited out. Like it, it looks like it's like a surveillance van or like a pretty sketch, like wow. drug van, you know. Okay. But apparently like in the inside, it's like air conditioned. So like keep the seafood cold. Oh, I see. So okay. they block the windows out to keep the sun out. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And there's like an AC unit in there. So you got to keep seafood cold when you're transporting it, you know, but they're alive, you know, if, if it's hot, they'll die. Right, like, right. So the crawfish are delivered alive, but you can keep them for days in there and they'll stay alive. It, you know, anyway, this sketch van pulls right in front of my house. Right. And like, as the sketch van is pulling up, it looks like, you know, there could be like people who are kidnapped in the van, yeah. but, but it's crawfish that are kidnapped. And, uh, you know, our guests pull up from Arizona like right, and they're like, "What is going on? Like, this is—is is there like a drug deal happening?" And like, they're—they're they're like parked behind the van because they can't get in because it's like in front of my house, and I don't know they're pulling up. And I walk outside, and I'm like, you know, handing this guy money, and it—it it looks like it looks like a drug deal. It looks like a drug deal, and then he just pulls out a big sack. You know, it's like—is there drugs in there? And then it's crawfish, right? And. Like if you were, they were just like observing this thinking, where am I? I'm on another planet. And they get out. I'm like, this is just how it rolls in Louisiana. It's like, <laughs> this is how it is. That's nice. So they enjoyed it. Yeah. Must've been pretty hot. Was it when it was hot here? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. I mean, at night, it, you know, it was fine. And it, yeah. you know, it was kind of, you know, it's been seasonably hot, but it's kind of cooled <laughs> off with the rain and stuff, but we had a good time. Really nice. Good little Cajun evangelization. Yeah, That's totally. Good. Yeah, caught up. Enjoy your crawfish. Yeah, yeah. So twenty-five years of marriage. You know, yeah. people have been married longer than us. Some people less. But you know, I never really. I always thought when I got married, first of all, there was one thing I didn't think. I didn't think uh, it would be this hard. I didn't think marriage would be this hard. You don't. You don't know how hard it is until you have it. It's sort of like being a parent. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, ah, oh, looks cool or whatever. And you don't know how hard it is to actually have a baby. You're like, oh, this takes work and effort, you know. Marriage is sort of the same way. You know, it does take work and effort. It's not easy. Um, and then, you know, but I never thought, oh, I'd be married 25 years. It just kind of flies just by. happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, BC Alternative, you know. Um, just both of you are alive and well and still together. Mm. So yeah, I'm sure at some point you th- figure this could happen. But it does go by quick. I mean, life... You hear that from people all the time. 
I've been married 20, 20, 25 years. It just went really fast. Or my yeah. kid just graduated high school or college. It was like that. Um, so, I mean, what? Yeah, it's been been crazy. You know, we, we're um, lining up a marriage retreat coming up and um, sending some people out. And a good friend of ours together, Father Schumacher, Father mm-hmm. Andrew Schumacher, is going with these couples. And we have a, a couple that we're training to go lead it. And excited for, you know, the couples that are going away on retreat. And it was cool because Father Schumacher were on this group text, um, just kind of getting all the logistics ready, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, you know, who are the couples going so I can get their names and we can start praying for them. And, you know, I'm getting the schedule, you know. And so he sends me a name. I was like, man, this is so awesome. And then, you know, we're like, hey, we're all praying for these couples, you know, which is cool. You pray for them ahead of time. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know any of them. Um, and I'm not, I'm not going, but you know, I'm a part of this whole process that's happening. And he just texts back. He's like, you know, between these couples, there's, you know, I can't remember, but it was around. He's like, you know, between the couples, the five couples going, there's 25 children, you know? Wow. And I was like, that's cool. You know? And then he goes like, that's, you know, and then he named like, that's how many generations are going to be changed from this one retreat. Hmm. And it it really, really, really just kind of like made me zoom out and like put it all in context, right? Like if if five marriages go on this retreat and have a life-changing experience and recommit to like the life of their vocation and happiness, right? Mm-hmm. And and their children are impacted by that. And then their children's children, like it what happens in the context of the marriage and family is, is the foundation of everything, right? Like we've mm-hmm. talked about that in many ways. It's, it, it, it is the, the heart of society. It's, it's it, 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 a vocation of the church, everything. And yet it's, it's like what the one thing that we don't spend a lot of time on mm-hmm. is working on our marriages and like what has, literally our legacy and our generational impact has nothing to do with my work and everything to do with my marriage. That That's the thing. That's the generational longevity that I'll leave. And, and that's what I continue to try to keep in the context is like what I am living with my wife is, has the ability to, to have generational impact, you know? Yeah. And as a Christian couple, you, you are building the church because you're a domestic church, obviously. So we talked, you know, mentioned that earlier that the church can be reborn pretty quickly. Actually, I mean, it's a, it's an old institution. It's been around for two thousand years. We have a long history, but in every age, the church is reborn with the family because as someone starts a new Christian family, they're building a Christian culture in that family. They're they're teaching people how to live the gospel. They're raising disciples, and then if we all do that. Literally within 20 years, think about it. We have a very strong church, and we've seen that. You know, for those of us that have been around for a little while, um, I'm not as old as some, but I've been around a little while. You know, our our church in our country has kind of ebbed and flowed in strength over the past few decades, Hmm. but mostly that ebb and flow is not determined by anything else other than the state of those families, right? Like, did those families get what they needed to to live the gospel out with authenticity and, and sincerity? And when they did, and where they did. You had a strong Catholic culture. That's one of the things people love about South Louisiana. It's not because of anything else than families here committed to the faith, 
over a extended period of time. And that's literally all that did it. Yeah. You know, it's not because we had great programs or great, uh, you know, whatever. It was very simple family, Cajun, Catholic lives that built a culture. And every couple has the ability to do that. You know, and, and you mentioned that the most important thing if you're married is, is your is your marriage. That's so true because if I know how to be a good spouse, I can teach my children how to be good human beings, right? Because that spousal love is where everything, it takes everything I have. It is a hard thing to do. It takes everything I have to be a good husband or to be a good wife. And it's that self-gift, it's that complete commitment that I need to hand on to my kids. If I can't do that with my spouse, what am I handing on to my kids? Right. How to behave at grocery stores, how to not anger your boss. Like, what am I teaching them? Right. If I'm not teaching them how to completely give themselves to other human beings like I do with my spouse. Right, exactly. I mean, people ask me all the time for like, you know, parenting advice or go give a talk and like, hey, can you also talk to the parents? I'm like, look, I'm not an expert, you know, and people act like they're experts. That's fine. And they're, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to pretend like I'm something I'm I'm not, but I do. I give talks or whatever. And, and, and like, I'll start with this. The number one thing. And like, this has nothing to do with people who have had to go through a divorce or have been through the trauma of that or things like that. So not to be not pastoral for those folks, because, you know, I'm a product of, of a divorced home, you know, my parents, and we have a, have a lot of compassion. I work with a lot of people who struggle in their marriages and mm-hmm. even who've been through divorces. That's not the case. If you are married, if you are married, the, the greatest thing that you can give your children is there is your marriage. Like that's the greatest thing that you can give them and teach them is, is loving your spouse and dying for them. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and, and serving them in Christ and growing that, you know, we, we all have a starting point of our marriage. The day I got married in 1997, you know, in, in May, 1997, May what? 30th. So that's the starting point, right? That, that was our starting point. Yeah. The dating was the starting point and the engagement, whatever, but, we all have this, the, the moment and the starting point, and everyone's starting point is somewhere, right? And then either you move forward or backwards, right? And yet we all have a, a little bit different starting points in a sense of like maybe we come from hard times or like we bring in a lot of baggage or whatever and someone else doesn't, you know? But the, the movement of our marriage forwards or backwards does not happen overnight. It you know, I didn't end up 25 years later in a happy marriage overnight. It took an extreme amount of work and effort and still does, right? And yet the folks that I, that I work with or talk to or hear about who end up 5, 7, 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road divorced, that didn't happen overnight either, you know? There were some things that took place over time that, that moved them in that direction. And so to have a you know, a happy, holy marriage, it really does take effort. And if it didn't, everyone would do it. Right. And we live in a culture where like either people are like bypassing marriage, cohabitating, or marriage is ending at a 50% clip. And so it's almost like, you know, one of the reasons, you know, Gretchen and I had talked about this and we kind of went back and forth, you know, like, do we just get away for our 25th anniversary, you know, like that would be great. And that, that would be awesome actually. And what we landed on is we, we sort of talked to a mentor couple of ours older than us. And and they, they just said, you should really celebrate your 25th with other people. 
because there's so few signs of marriage in our society and in our culture that you should celebrate it. So we decided to do a celebration. Look at you. And I'm not much of a celebrating. No, you're not. Like, <laughs> you really aren't. Hey, like, look at me. Right. I'm more like, you know, I'm I'm just I'm just cool with with like no attention. Let's just. But, you know, they really challenged us on that. And I really thought, you know what? If there's anything that I should celebrate in my life, it's my marriage. Right. Yeah, and that God has given you a happy one is a great gift. I mean, so important to that, to the life of the church, is I mean, if you think about vocations to the priesthood, vocations to marriage, vocations to religious life, all those vocations depend on the formation we all get from mom and dad that love each other. And in, in the Christian world, mom and dad are disciples hmm. who love each other. And you're right, there are a lot of circumstances where that doesn't play out like God intended or it doesn't play out... Um, because it's nobody's fault. There's issues, everything from addictions to abuse to whatever. And, and so there are lots of scenarios where it's perfectly reasonable that it didn't play out that way. However, the rate at which our marriages are struggling in the church, you know, the rate of contraceptive use, the rate of people who don't even spend time with their spouse, the rate of people who aren't even getting married these days, Everything is saying that we need a renewal in marriage. You know, we need a new Pentecost in marriage for the good of the church. Hmm. Because if we don't, the church is going to be, it, the church will always have saints. But when we don't have good marriages, those saints are few and far between. You know, you can have, if you look back in church history and you look at the golden years of when the church was growing and thriving from the early times to, you know, um, to now, people live their faith joyfully together. And it's power in that. There's a lot of power in that. And so if you live in a part of the country, I know me saying that is very easy in South Louisiana because a lot of people look to us as an, an environment of a lot of families who are Catholic and love to be together. And that is totally true. So if you want to move to Lafayette, do it. But if that's not God's will for you and wherever you live, if you feel isolated from other couples or other you know Catholic community, um, sometimes that isolation is a strain on your marriage. And so anyway, I just want to encourage you... Um, you know, if you stick with it, if you're faithful to it, God can build up a culture around you. He could build up the church around you. You may not see it, but your kids will see it. You know, the church will, will thrive if you are committed. You may not enjoy those benefits in your lifetime. Mm -hmm. But if you stick with it, if you have kids, and if you raise them in a happy, holy home because of your happy, holy marriage, within a generation or two, that church will still be there, the one you founded. Mm -hmm. Like Paul, who went around founding churches, the family you're founding wherever you are, whether it's in Phoenix or Massachusetts or Louisiana, that church is going to resonate in 40, 50, 60, 100 years. Yeah. You know, and if, you know, you come from a broken home, you're, you're a product of divorce as a, as a kid, and you're an adult now and you're married, or you've been personally through a divorce and, you know, maybe a remarriage or, or not, like... We are not the sum of what's happened to us in the past. Like, mm -hmm. what the 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 beauty of God's redemption is that He restores all of us, like, and our whole story. And like our beginning point, like the beauty of God is that He gives us new starts in life, right? Like do overs and resurrected moments and conversions that move us forward. 
And so what I really talk to people about is what I've learned in my own life. Either I can look towards the past and to be defined by what's happened to me and be a victim, or I can allow Jesus to heal me, resurrect me like he did Lazarus and move me to new life. That's really difficult. It doesn't happen overnight. I would say the past 25 years of my marriage has been a continuous conversion to love more, not just my wife, but my children and not just my wife and my children, but honestly myself. Mm-hmm. What have I learned the most over the past 25 years to love the sinful person that is me and, and to learn to love, you know, what God is doing in me. Right. And like the more I learn to love myself and who God created me to be, the more I can love others. You know, we can say we love others and hate ourselves. Those two can't go together. Like there's, there's a, they don't mix well, you know, and conversion is learning to not only love Jesus, but love who Jesus made us to be and then love the people around us. And marriage is set up to help us to have that conversion. Right. And I think marriage is in because we don't convert. We we don't, um, you know, we don't, we don't allow our, our hearts to be broken. And Jesus talked about this in scripture. It was one of those really hard words that he said. He says, I'll allow divorce because of your hardness of heart, mm-hmm. right? Like your hearts are so hard. Just do what you want then. And basically that's what they were saying. We're going to do what we want, right? Like we have hard hearts and the Lord doesn't want us to have hard hearts. Like he, he wants our hearts to be at a place where he, he can break them open and reshape them. That's what marriage does. It allows us to grow closer to Jesus, to allow us to have a deeper conversion in our life. That's what our vocation is set up to do. Make us better. You know, you talk, you use the words happy, you know, but one, one word we didn't use is we never said we had a perfect marriage Mm -hmm. because that's impossible. Right. We can have a happy and holy marriage, but I'm the first to say this. I don't have a perfect one. I'm not a perfect husband, spouse, and I'm not a perfect dad. I mean, I'm, I'm in the trenches. I'm in the foxhole. I'm battling, but I'm not winning all the time. I'm doing the best I can, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's the um, the promise I think of of if you're in a marriage where you are not happy, like you wouldn't say you're in a happy marriage, which is a lot of folks actually. Part of that, like Paul said, I mean, I think Paul, you're right that some of that is I'm not happy with me. Right. It's not even actually about my spouse. Yeah. I'm just not happy with me. We make it about the other. We point the finger. Yeah. But, but yeah. it's not. And uh, to be happy with ourselves is not to become perfect. It's not to stop sinning. It's not to stop doing everything wrong. But it's actually to just accept who God created us to be and to accept that his love for me defines who I am, not my ability to even respond to that love well. Because... Until I die, I will not respond to God's love perfectly. It's just not going to happen. I'll do better or less. And some days I'm going to be very open to his love, and I'm going to pray really well, and I'm going to be close to him. And some days my heart will not be as open or come harder or whatever. But his love does not change. And so if that is where I find my identity, his love for me, um, then I'm okay with myself. I'm comfortable with myself. And that allows me the freedom to be comfortable with my spouse, who will have better or worse days. Hmm. Some days my spouse will be more annoying to me or less. But after 25 years, and you can <clears throat> attest to this, and I, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but all the happily married couples I've seen, after like five years or so, you really don't even notice 
those aggravating things as much. If you've invested the time to just seek how you can change, seek how I can get better, and I'm not worried about your faults, mm-hmm. eventually you don't even see them. You just right. enjoy being around them. It's not that you're overlooking or, or denying. It's just that's not where your mind goes. You're not constantly thinking about, I can't believe she did that, or I can't believe he said that. You're just grateful to be with the other person. But it, instead, if 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 I define my marriage, I'm not happy because they do something over and over and over, well, then, of course, I can't be happy. You know, that's no one's happy like that. Um, so anyway, I think the Lord Jesus wants happy marriages. The way he, his plan for that is is the sacraments. I mean, he wants us to know him in the Eucharist. He wants us to go to confession. And he gave us a sacrament of matrimony because he wants to be close to us in that sacrament. Yeah. So that we can love him and love each other. Yeah, I mean, it's Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding, you know. I mean, it's pretty good. It's there. He he was instituted the sacrament. You know, like why? Because Jesus was present at the sacrament, like there at the wedding. It right. Be, it became sacramental because Jesus made Himself present there, right, and said That's so. Right. Like, think about that. Like, it was so important for Jesus to be there, and that He performed the miracle there. Think about what Jesus can do in our marriages. So maybe you're listening, you're like, man, my marriage isn't where I want it, or I'm not happy in it, or we're not where we need to be, or my spouse needs a conversion. Jesus can perform those miracles. He can, 100%. He can perform them in our hearts and in the hearts of our spouse. And I can tell you this, like we are where we are 25 years later because we didn't give up. And there were times where we wanted to. Not like, hey, I'm leaving you, but like, mm, I don't want to put in effort, right? Like, this is too hard, right? Like, this is a lot of work. And then we had five kids. He's like, this is more work. You know, like, <laughs> there. look, we're all in this together, you guys. Like, and it's not easy. We need to support one another and empower each other. But here's the deal. God's miracles can happen in our vocation, hands down. And we got to keep believing in that, that the resurrected Lord who ascended and sent the Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit is present in our sacrament, in our vocation, Mm -hmm. and can do mighty miracles. And I can say this, so much of the internal healing work that I've done in my life has only happened because my marriage has, has allowed that to to. To, to be the backdrop and to bring that to the forefront so that I can be holier because I, I'm walking through that stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. We're going to take a quick break. <coughs> I don't know if you've noticed, I've kind of had a lisp every now and then. Really? Yeah. I'm a, you know, I got two months left of these braces. That's it? Two months? Yes. And we're going to celebrate. I'm going to eat on the show. <laughs> I mean, I just can't wait. But like. What you going to eat? My lisp, like th- these braces, like I swear. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a quick break. I'll be right back. Paying too much for health care and supporting services you don't believe in? Our sponsor, Solidarity HealthShare, has prices that are 60% less than the nation's average cost of health care. Join the nation's leading health care sharing ministry built by people of faith for people of faith, saving money through ethical and affordable health care. Call now to see how much you can save at 844-387-8533. That's Solidarity HealthShare, 844-387-8533. 
Welcome back to the show. Thanks for listening in. Deacon Adam Conk sitting right next to me. I am. In the studio. And well, not right next. I mean, there's probably three feet between us. We could fit another chair in between us, but yeah. because I have such long legs. You do have long legs. I refuse to put another chair. You're a tall fella. I am. People may not realize I walked that. in the 1030 Mass the other day <laughs> at my parish, which is very far from your parish. Yeah. You know, considering our diocese, you know, about you know 30 minutes, just say. 30-minute drive, yeah. 30-minute drive. So I walk in, going to Mass, all quiet. Opening song, it's beautiful. Procession in. I look up. I see. <laughs> I see two people that are never at this mass, serving at this mass, that I know really well, who, who just end up on the altar. And you didn't know either one of us was going to be there. And I knew neither one of you would be there. One was Father Bryce Sibley, who he and I used to do a show together. Yep. Good friends. He's he's concelebrating, and then there you are as a deacon. <laughs> like I was like, what is Adam doing? And Surprise. you were there because we had a deacon ordination, and this mm-hmm. was one of the new transitional deacons' first mass, and you were there to serve with him. That's right. And so he's, he uh, had some families and friends there, and I served with him, and the Father Sibler was there to support him. And he gave his first homily that weekend. He did great. Which was great. He and, did great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely saw you in the crowd. It's a big church, lots of folks, but you were tall. It's probably one of the biggest churches in the diocese. Yeah, it's definitely uh, up there. Must be the must be the biggest capacity. Yeah, St. Pius, if you're ever in town, it's a beautiful place to visit. Anyway, yeah. all that being said, I was like, he doesn't see me. I'm kind of off on the on the side, and and but I do stick out. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you must be. I'm not the tallest person, but I mean, like if you look out in a crowd, like you know, there's probably a maybe a handful of people who are six four, not you know, right, and they usually aren't right by each other. You Correct. Know, they're with a bunch of short people, like yeah. your wife. But what most people don't realize, and you can attest to this better than anybody on the show, is that when you're up there on the altar, like mm-hmm. on the sanctuary, you mm-hmm. can see everything. Oh, yeah. And most people are like, oh, they, they can't see me fiddling around on my phone. Or, oh, yeah, they can. You know, talk, oh, yeah, they can. <laughs> Trust me. They can. It's everything. True. They could tell how interested you are. All of that. Yeah, you can see everything. And and people sitting down like, oh, they, they don't know this. They don't they don't see me. And like, yeah, look, just if you're listening, yes, they do. Yeah. Hands down. They do. Hands down. Hands down. Okay. How about for the show, we do a six pack of questions. Question. A great idea, Paul. Yes. Especially, you know, 25th anniversary. We need to break open a six pack. I just had a crawfish boil from friends from Phoenix. Six pack or two. I saw you at mass on Sunday. It's quite a week. You know, and I usually (laughs) only see you once a week. Now I get to see you twice. It's amazing. Yeah. All right. Question number one. So we began the show talking about Rosa in Peru. Yeah. Who apparently is not dead. There is a St. Rose of Peru. You're right. Rose of Lima. Rose of Lima. Lima, Peru. Well, she rose up from the grave. And uh, (laughs) so my question for you, have you ever... Do you do that? Sometimes I do that at funeral, like wakes. Mm-hmm. I kind of think, like, what if they, what if they stood up right now? Yeah. What if they sat up right now? Am I the only weird one? No, but I have thought like it would be really amazing if like people started praying over the dead body and it came back to life, like like mm-hmm. a spiritual, like literally, like what happened to Lazarus. We talked about on the show, like mm-hmm. what happened at we, like talk about like conversions would begin to take place. So would you be you brave know? enough to try? And I've heard that there's places around the world that where there's like there have been situations like that. 
-hmm. Like people have risen from the dead in the name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. I haven't personally seen it. But I'm certainly not going to deny that miracles like that happen. You right. know, so for me to deny that miracles like that happen would be for me to say that God's not active in the world mm -hmm. at all. You know, some people would argue theologically, which I don't think that they have any leg to stand on, is that the miracles that Jesus performed were final. Like, they don't happen anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be sad if that were true. Because mm -hmm. we know miracles. All the saints that have come after Jesus, there's been miracles performed in their name through their intercession. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons that make them canonized saints. It's not just they lived holy lives, but there's been miracle, a miracles in their intercession. So, Yeah, and it has to be the case because Jesus said, um, it's better for us that he goes because he's going to send the advocate. Yeah. So it, we can't have less Jesus on this side of the ascension. There right. can only be more, more, more miracles, more, more miracles. stuff. Yeah. Love it. All right, question number two. <clears throat> we talked about um, 25 years of marriage. Congrats again. And uh, you said something interesting, which we kind of elaborated later, but it doesn't happen overnight, right? So my question to you is, for those newly married couples, of which this is wedding season, so people are getting married probably right now. That is true. Somewhere. Those newly married couples, what are some maybe like one or two things to really focus on at the very beginning of marriage to say, look, you need to commit to this as a good habit for the next five years. Like really get, get good at this. And then what's one thing they really need to stop doing or avoid doing? If they see this, it's a red flag. Like, Hey, you have to be committed to not doing this for like hmm. the next five years. Hmm. I know that's a loaded question. Let's yeah. make it question two and three. Well, it is loaded and I probably forgot one of the questions. So you can just circle back to them. You know, yeah. but like one of the things to do within the first five years, mm -hmm. right, is I think grow spiritually. Like, you know, the spiritual foundation of marriage is the key, right? But you can't just be a, you know, strong Christian without growing, you know, in other ways too. And so the next thing I would say is that the things that marriage brings up in you, which it will by nature bring up things in you that need growth, healing, maturity, maybe counseling, maybe mentoring. Uh, and your first reaction within your first five years is going to want to point to the other person and say, if you changed, it would make my life better. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned this earlier is that what ends up happening is like where your marriage gets better is when you look in the mirror and say, how is this calling me to change? and to grow and to love more. And if I would have known that was going to be the case in the first five years, I would have avoided a lot of heartache or arguments or, you know, yeah, we, I think we would have moved faster. We would have moved further faster in our first five years. Nice. But I'm a, I'm a slow learner. Yeah, you are. It took more like <laughs> 10 years for our breakthroughs, you know, like, I'm a slow learner. But you get it. I do get it. When you it. learn it, you got it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that was question two and three because it was two different questions. <clears throat> so question number four, we talked about the joy of the resurrection, the joy of, uh, of Easter. And we're about to leave the Easter season and go into this long stretch of ordinary time, you know, just normal time. Yeah. Um, give me some tips. I, I think a lot of folks, you Which know. I love, I love ordinary Okay. Time. So I need to hear about that because a lot of folks lent 
and into Easter is really spiritually awakening because mm-hmm. they get to, and then ordinary time, it's just like they check out. I don't know. It's just, it's too long. I don't know. So how do you, how do you really love this stretch we're about to get in? I thrive in the ordinary. I don't know what it is. Like I become more disciplined when things are consistent and mundane. Like I feel like this is exactly the reason why ordinary time is so long is because all the seasons of the church that we have, Lent, Advent, Easter, Pentecost, you know, the whole gamut is to prepare us for ordinary life. This time where we're called to live as a Christian in the mundane of life, in our marriage, in our vocation, in our parenting and spousing and education and jobs, like this is where the Christian is called to live in the ordinary. And yet we get lazy and we get off our diets, quote unquote, spiritual diets. We, we get off rhythm. And this is exactly the place where Jesus is saying, stay in rhythm, stay focused, but just live the ordinary life extraordinary with Jesus at the center. That's where we thrive, you guys. And I think people get bored with the ordinary because we're looking for the next spiritual high or our high, you know, emotionally or whatever. And ordinary time is just where we where we thrive. Mm. I know. I just got excited about ordinary time. You even got a green shirt on. I mean, I can't even You're wait. Fired up. Fired up. Question number five. So, there's actually people listening right now to this podcast who hear you talk about marriage, hear me talk about marriage, and they get excited. They're like, "I want that," and they're trying to get married, but they're having trouble meeting a spouse. They're mm. having trouble actually finding someone. And uh, it can get pretty discouraging because they feel called to this vocation, but yet it's one of those, you can't marry yourself. You can't make yourself get married, right? Um, so can you give me some advice to, to folks, especially as they're going to weddings right now in May and in June, they're going to all these people's weddings, always the bridesmaid, never the bride kind of feeling. Um, give, give a message of hope to these people because they're listening, Paul. Yeah, you know, and this is loaded. We could do a whole show and maybe maybe you can commit me to doing that. We can do a whole show to this, that one question, because I think it is important for people who are unmarried, the young adult folks and people who are pursuing, but it's like a weird time and hard time. Maybe they're not where they want to be with their vocation. So there's a lot of pastoral thought that comes around this and spiritual thought. But to answer briefly for the six pack is, you know, pursue your vocation, become the person you want to marry. Like become that person every day. Just, just pursue Jesus and 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 grow in character and in virtue and in holiness, and pray for your vocation. But don't sit on your loins and do nothing. Like pursue it. Pursue dating. Pursue good people. Pursue, you know. And particularly to a lot of the guys out there, like stop sitting on your loins. Like pursue the vocation. Like go for it. Like. Even if it fails, like even if you ask someone out and it's a no or you you like, like who cares? Mm. You know, like I had to take a lot of risk to get my wife to like say yes. Like, and it was an date. amazing feat. Yeah. But I always tell people this. Every person I dated before my wife was a failure. <laughs> right? Yeah. If it wasn't, I would have married them. That's right. So like. I had a lot more failures than I did successes before I got married. And that's just part of the process. It's okay. That doesn't define us, right? Mm-hmm. I think what happens is like people don't know how to date. That's a whole nother show. And so. That would be a good show. A mm-hmm. dating show? Yeah. Man. 
We could even have people go on dates on the show. Yeah. Well, wow. <laughs> Just kidding. All right, so question number six. Um, inspire us, Paul. It's Pentecost. Um, I know Easter is a time where you love re- reading the book of Acts and, and reminding us of, of the early church and evangelization and being committed to that. Um, you know, give it. Give us a little word as we're going to Ascension Sunday, as we go into this time of, of waiting on Pentecost, um, for the importance of this this mission of the church to share the message of Jesus Christ and the joy that we have in knowing Him. Hmm. Inspire us to get in the game. Yeah. Well, you know, Pentecost is coming up, and you know, this isn't something that that happened just happened over two thousand years ago to specific people. You know, when when God shares His life with them he shares it with all of us so the holy spirit is for all of us and lives inside of all of us and the same holy spirit that empowered the disciples the apostles to live radically for jesus is the same holy spirit that's alive today that we have through our baptism and confirmation and through our you know conversion and it's the same holy spirit that's active in the church through the consecration of the eucharist and reconciliation and the power of forgiveness that same Holy Spirit lives inside of us and can move us to do things in our life that we could never do on our own. And we have to believe and call on that Holy Spirit to activate and move us forward in our life, hands down. And I got to do it. You got to do it. We got to do it better. We got to do it more. We got to believe it more. We got to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit and for Pentecost to be a part of our life daily. I need to be more intentional about that. And the more I talk about it, the more I'm getting fired up about it. <laughs> but the more I'm realizing that I don't do that enough. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, let's all all lean into that, you know, because the spirit could be more alive in my life, in my marriage, in, in my work, in my parenting, in the way I interact with people. All right. Fired up. Fired up. Let's do it. Yeah. Fired up. St. Saint, Saint Rosa Lima <laughs> of Peru. Pray for us and pray for all the marriages out there yeah. and all those that will be and all the generations that will be affected by it. In the name of Jesus, like just move in power. So um, thank you guys for being a part of the show. Share the show, podcast, uh, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, and on the radio, Caleb, thanks to everyone, our sponsors. Thank you.